You are listening to Myth Behaving, a podcast with a little bit of attitude on the literary world. Won't you come Myth Behave with us? Hello and welcome to Myth Behaving. This is episode number 40 and we are recording on January the 4th, 2015. Ha! Got it right straight out of the gate. I am Katie Brisky, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Paul Ellis and Mayor Wilson. And it has been far too long since I have talked to either of you. So how are you guys doing? I've missed you. Oh, we've missed you too, Katie. It's, uh, Yay! Mayor? Yes, I've missed you both. It's been, I was just thinking about it just not too long ago. I go, Gosh, it's been forever since I've talked to them. So this is a treat just to, to get together again. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. Uh, it's been a busy month for me. Uh, I actually had a short story come out both in podcast free form over at ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com. I don't have the bell. Pip, uh, Pip and T took it with them from our last uh, recording session. so We need to each get bells. Yeah. <laughs> so we can ding bells. Ding. Uh, bells and whistles. And whistles. I, have, I actually have a bell. Oh, excellent. I have a tuning fork. That's like a bell. <laughs> Uh, so that though, that short story, Foothold, is available uh, both in free podcast and as an ebook, and you can go out to ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com and pick that up. Thank you. Currently, I'm working on, uh, or I should say that I have submitted Glass Darkly. That's a short story for Charlie Brown's uh, Dirty Magic New Orleans anthology, which should be coming up in the first quarter of this year. I'm kind of excited about that. And uh, currently I'm working on a short story for Danielle Ackley McFlail's uh, Kickstarter Tales of the Weird Wild West. Uh, I'm hoping to submit that and get that accepted. And if I butchered her last name, I will immediately apologize because I, I've never heard her say it. So I hope that's hope that's close enough. Uh, and if you want to keep up with all of my shenanigans, you can head over to paulkellis.com and sign up for the newsletter of the Unrepentant Nerd Near Monthly. Uh, there's a link at the top of the page that says Nerd Letter, and you can sign up there. Um, because Facebook has changed its algorithms, whenever I put a post on now, they're going to make me pay to have that promoted. So you can get a hold of the newsletter and find out what I'm up to without me having to pay. I like that. So, <laughs> how are you doing, Mayor? I'm great, but we like free, don't we? Oh. We, we really think free is good. I love free. Have, have we confirmed that Facebook thing? Is that confirmed? That's confirmed from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, they, they interviewed the guy that has, uh, I think, is the talking head in charge of making sure those algorithms get changed. And he, he understands that it's going to be a pinch for the entrepreneurs, but he's sure that they'll adjust to it. And mm. I think, I th- oh, wow. I think we're going to adjust to it by going over to Google+. Plus. But that's just me. Yeah, yeah you know, we'll, we'll just move. Um, I've been doing a lot of things. I've actually got a, a story coming out uh, within the next week or two. We haven't Excellent. fixed a release wow. date. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Called Wedding Ghost. It's um, the fourth prequel story in my Modern Magic series. Yet it really comes between the first and the second story that are already out there. But so many people wanted Thulu and Lafie's wedding. So I wrote their their wedding. And of course, in keeping with the rest of the ghost novelettes, that's why it's called Wedding Ghost. And that should be fun. And then, of course, then I'll be back to revising Magic's. And then that'll release later on in 2015. And what about you, Miss Katie? Oh, man, I don't know where to start. It has been a busy month. Sadly, I'm not allowed to talk about most of my things yet, which is always a fun position to be in. No, it uh, isn't. <laughs> yeah, or I'm like, I, have, I have cool stuff, but uh, um, okay, I'll talk about the things I can. Um, I leave on Friday to go down to Maine 
to do my third residency with Stone Coast, my creative creative writing MFA. So that'll be fun. Um, frantically trying to get together my last few manuscripts and pack and change my currency and find my passport and all that stuff. I've also got... Ooh, I have cool stuff. I do, that I can talk about. Um, I have a novel coming out in March. Yay! Who just almost forgets that? <laughs> no, I'm looking I'm looking down my whiteboard of stuff, and I'm like, nope, nope, that's... I'm not allowed, not allowed, not allowed. Oh, novel, right there! Um, yes, uh, my my novel... Quiet, you. My novel, Heart Stealer, will be out on March the 12th. It is a dark little Victorian-ish fantasy. Um, so I'm sure we'll hear more about that as we get closer to the date. Um, I have a beautiful cover that was done for me by the lovely and talented Starla Hutchton. And every time I see it, I swoon. It makes me really, really happy. I'm just... Is that released yet? Is your cover released yet? No, I'm, I'm hoarding it for just a little bit longer. Because <laughs> um, I'm a tease like that. Um, when it is released, though, you guys will be the first to know. That oh, is exciting. Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, and also... I am totally not doing this. My colleague, Catherine, who is almost the same person as me, but not, I promise, um, is working on a podcast that's going to start production right about the time I start doing my third semester project at Stone Coast, which is not a podcast, I promise. Um, So it's going to be a kind of a serialized podcast, almost like a little mini soap opera that takes place in the Living History Museum. Coincidentally, I take I work at a living history museum, which is why I'm totally not doing this myself. Wink. That sounds fun. <laughs> it does sound fun. Um, so yes, um, she is wrangling voice talent. I am not, because I would never do something like that and run the risk of getting in trouble. No, um, never. No, never. Not. No, not you. <laughs> um, but when it comes out, I will let you know on her behalf. Oh, good. I'm done now. Good. Yep. Wow, what an exciting way for all three of us to be starting the year with so many projects that are are out. That's just really kind of cool here at Misbehaving well, that I, we're, we're have, all doing that. I have actually, uh, in December, I took three weeks off uh, from work just to be with the kids and hang out. And I have actually gotten up to over 800 words a day writing, which for me is fantastic. I know that people that write all the time, that's nothing. But for me... That, that's a good that's a big deal so i'm kind of excited about that well yeah but if it's a steady 800 a day that adds up oh yeah it, it has yes <laughs> that's really impressive and it just goes to show you too sometimes you, t- you take that step back right you get so much more done than if you're just nose to the grindstone all the time and it well you know you, you i get the kids wound up on too much sugar and caffeine and then by the time it was time for them to go to bed uh the, they would collapse and i had a uh, little free time <laughs> to do the work so that's how you do it. All right, I'll well, follow that away. That's how I do it. My wife may <laughs> have different things to say about that. Shh. Be very quiet when hunting books in the library of a misbehavior. Well, that means it's time for something from the library of a misbehavior. Now, today we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, we're not discussing any one particular book. But we're looking at actually a whole line of books from the publishing house Elysian Press. EP publishes science fiction, fantasy, horror, paranormal, and paranormal romance, and also young adult in all of those genres, so clearly quite a wide and varied range of books. So our special guest today is Jen Ryan, who is one of the partners in the press. Jen is responsible for acquisitions and editing and lots of other things too. And her partner is our very own Mary Wilson, who I think uh, we all know pretty well. So, Jen, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Hi, thank you guys for allowing me to join the party. Oh, sure. Well, it's more the merrier. Remember, it's not a party until something gets broken. Oh, well, I'm sure I'll manage something. Well, we're on Skype, so it's going to be Skype. There, we're, we're oh, good. Okay. Jen, uh, Elysian Press started uh, about seven months ago. How many authors and books do you currently have, and how many are scheduled for this year? We have five authors signed right now, uh, submissions all the time. I think to, to date, we've published three novels and three novelettes and have about seven titles already slated for 2015. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> we've been very busy. So- yeah, no kidding. <laughs> of truth and misery. Jen is an editor this time. Please feel free to help us with today's Of Truth and Mythery. This is where we take something that is a commonly held publishing or writing belief and discuss whether it's true or just another myth. It's not necessary to have a book professionally edited. You can just have a friend proofread it for you. Oh, I guess it depends on, on you know, what you as the author want to accomplish with the book. Um, if it's something that you're putting out there and you're wanting to publish it, whether, you know, self-publishing or through a small press and you want it to be, you know, the best you can make it, it should be professionally edited. A lot of authors, you know, that are also editors, they refuse to edit their own work, even though they're also editors. It's, it's really hard to find your own mistakes. Having someone that's outside, you know, an impartial editor, they can really go through the work and find the things that, that you would miss, things that a friend might also miss if they're not a professional editor. As I was saying, having a friend, you know, do the editing for you, sometimes you run into the problem that they might not be comfortable telling you about the things that they catch or that they see. If they're not a professional editor, they might miss things as well. So I think it's really important to have, have it professionally edited. I think, yeah, if you're putting out a professional product, you want to make sure it's been professional every step of the way. Um, a really good kind of saying I heard one time was that uh, an editor loves your book more than they love you, which we can run into, like you just said, with friends or with family members, even if they've got a good eye for it. Uh, I think having that very objective viewpoint very much outside of the work is invaluable when you're going through the editing process. Yeah, I agree. You definitely want to have someone that can be not emotionally invested in the work so they can see it a little differently. I guess that's especially important when you're looking at deep story edits too, right? Not just proofreading. Oh, absolutely. Even more so, yeah. So, Jen, as an acquisitions editor, what do you look for when you're first reading a submission? What's the thing that reaches out and says, yes, I'll take this guy, or no, no way? You know, there's a lot of things I look for, but the number one first thing is interest. You know, when I'm first reading the story, am I interested in it? You know, do I want to keep reading it, or is it a challenge to get through it? That, that's really the number one, the first thing. How do you decide when to offer a contract for a book? That one's a little trickier. Um, there's a lot of things to consider, you know, story, character, all of these things. But one of the most important things there is whether or not we think it will be successful. You know, is there a market for that book? And is our press the right press to market to that audience? Hmm, that's really interesting. So I was wondering, like, say you've got a work, like a book that needs a ton of work, but you think that if it got whipped into shape, it'd be a really good fit for the press versus a piece that's already very polished, but maybe this isn't the right home for it. Have you had any cases like that? Absolutely. And, and that's kind of a case-by-case thing. Sometimes you can have a book that's that's really real, well-written, it's polished, but it's just not a good fit for our press. And in that case, you know, we usually let the author know, you know, we're not the right press for this, but please, you know, continue to submit because this is a good story. And um, as for the other instance you're talking about where you've got maybe a good idea but it needs a lot of work. 
oftentimes, you know, same thing, just communicate with an author and tell them, hey, you know, this is this is the potential I see. This is what I think needs to be worked out. And then we give the author, you know, the opportunity. Do, would you like to to revise and resubmit? Or if it's, you know, really good, we sometimes will, you know, discuss with the author what we think maybe my insights were when I was reading mm-hmm. it or what I felt the problems were so that they have the opportunity to fix that and resubmit if they want. So what grabs your attention more? Is it going to be plot or characterization? Oh, that that's hard too. It depends. Uh, each story is a little different. You know, some books have a better story than they do characters. Some have better characters than they do story. It's really case by case in that one. There's not just a hard and fast rule like, oh, it has to have this or it has to have this. You know, so many authors are so different and stories are so different. You kind of have to take it case by case. Is there anything that you particularly love to see, though? You know, I'm a reader at heart. I'm a mm-hmm. reader first and foremost. And so I love stories and I love characters. And to me, even if the writing itself is a little rough and needs work, if you've got a good story and you've got good characters and it's got the potential, to me, that's, that's the most important thing. It's really cool. And it sounds like communication is so important, especially when you're dealing with as many books as you are. I mean, seven books. That's really impressive for a small press. I think that that's one of the things that sets our press apart is we try to, to really have open communication, open dialogue with our authors and communicate instead of just... You know, just making sure that that line of communication is always open, I think, is important. That's very admirable, especially as you're growing quite a bit. Uh, so with all of this growth, what are some of your goals for the next year? Keep growing. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. New Year's resolution. <laughs> oh, growing. Uh, you know, we, we love getting submissions. We love to, to get to know new authors and see new stories and, and just be able to help those authors on that journey and get their books out there. You know, that's, that's really why we're here. And I think that would be the number one goal. It's time for MythPrint, tips and tricks of the industry. It's time for another one of our special segments, MythPrint. It includes a basic tip concerning the writing, marketing, or anything else to do with the industry. Jen, would you help us with a basic tip on how a writer can submit directly to your press? What sort of things do you want or not want in the initial query letter? Well, our submission guidelines are on our website, www.elysianpress.com. All the details... Sorry, I couldn't (laughs) insist. I'm done. I'm just going to sit up here in Canada and be quiet now. (laughs) I just didn't know the rules. (laughs) So the details of how to submit a manuscript are are all uh, outlined there on the website. As far as the uh, query letters, I really encourage authors to spend time on your query letter and synopsis. You know, have them proofread, have them beta read before submitting. Those those uh, query letters and synopses are just as important as the manuscript. You know, maybe even more so because they're they're really the first impression that we get of the author. You know, before we open that manuscript, the first thing we see is the query letter. That's our first impression. So it's really really important that that stand out. Uh, do you have any resources or tips for looking at maybe examples of query letters, things that work and don't work? You know, I, I don't know. I've never written a query letter myself. I can understand the challenges that, that authors face in writing them. I do know that there are quite a few resources online. Um, author groups, if you're a member of any, you know, author support groups, you know, of, you know, other authors that can maybe help you through the process or take a look at what you've got and give you suggestions. I'd say that's probably a good place to start. Yeah, like Absolute Right um, has a whole entire section for, it's called Query Letter Hell. Yeah, and uh, Query Shark is also (laughs) another place that you can go and see how not to write a query letter. Yeah, I was just about to say her, yeah. Yeah. Also, it's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, she's she's got some some awesome 
I mean, you have to have some really thick skin to read her site sometimes because she gets brutal. But I think it's hysterical. It's really funny. And I learned so much of what not to do by reading her her website. But you can actually put your samples in at Absolute Right and, and get other people who will you know put their input into your query. But again, you're dealing with strangers who haven't read the book. They're just operating on the query letter itself. Which would make it perfect. And you get you need to have kind of thick skin for this too. Don't go it's not for the faint of heart at all. Right. If, if you're if you're having a hard time with the criticism of your query letter, it's gonna be really hard to go into editing rounds. I was gonna say I think if you don't have uh, your skin isn't thick enough for the query portion. You might be in the wrong business. Jen, would you do me a favor and walk us through the process that a writer goes through once they sign with EP? Okay. Well, the first step, once once the contract is signed, the book usually goes into editing. So the first step, I guess, for the author would be getting their manuscript back with editing notes and going through multiple rounds of editing. We like to go through multiple rounds, make sure that the author... And, you know, we as the publisher are happy with the final result. Some point in there, uh, during or shortly after final edits, the author will fill out a cover art form and they give us details and information on what they would like included on the cover. We also, after that, work on the blurb with the author. Once we have, you know, the manuscript then all ready and put together and ready to publish, we start working on marketing. So we work with authors on that, on release parties and, and events and things like that. We do some of that for the author, and then we, we like to help them with their own marketing as well. And then it goes through formatting and printing. It goes through formatting and printing, but usually that's handled you know, by us as the press. The author doesn't really have to do a lot then. So I was actually really intrigued by talking about the cover and um, trying to incorporate some of the author's ideas, because as I know from just having seen my, my beautiful cover, it's hugely exciting. Uh, so I was wondering, how many cover artists do you work with at EP? Um, and we've talked a little bit about um, that the author does have some input, uh, but do you want to walk us through the cover process a little bit uh, deeper? Sure. The author definitely is very heavily involved in our cover process. That's that's really important to us. We we have one cover artist that we use for a lot of our titles, but we do use different artists according to their you know their unique talents and specialties. Some people are better at graphics, some are better at at images or people or you know. So it really just depends on what we're trying to accomplish with the cover and who's the best suited for that work. So as far as the process, we have a form that we send to our authors and they fill out the information as far as. If there's anything specific they want to see on the uh, on the cover, anything they don't want to see on the cover, they give descriptions of the, the lead characters and some of the, the images throughout the story and just kind of give the artist something to work with from the beginning. And then once we get images back from the cover art artists, you know, we take a look and see which ones we think are, are better suited for the book and just kind of go back and forth with the artist until we have a cover we're all happy with. We've been working with, we've had him on the show, and that's M. Joseph Murphy, and we've been working with him as a cover artist for a while now, and one of the things I really enjoy working with, with Joe, and I think we mentioned it, this during his interview, too, is the amount of options he gives oh, when wow. he's working on a cover, and, you know, there are so many artists who are like, okay, here's your cover, you get one change, we're done, you know, and he's not like that at all. He he no. works until the, the client's happy, and that's incredibly lucky to have. He gives us so many options, and, and even then, it's not just that we have to choose. Sometimes we're like, oh, well, we like this font from this one, the color from this one, the image from this one, and we just make him put it all together, and he's so good about it. 
That's amazing because there are some people like me who can write, but thinking about visuals, it's like, what? We're lucky to, to work with him as an, uh, he's an author and a cover artist. So I think he has a little bit bigger insight and he's very easy to work with. We enjoy working with him a lot. So once you get all of this put together, how do you decide when it's the right time to release a book? Well, that one, uh, that one requires thought as well. Most often the books are published in the order they're signed, but sometimes we feel certain books will do better, you know, release different times of the year, depending on what's going on, the genre, the story. So sometimes we, we have to hold the release of a book for a specific time or, or we rearrange the order a bit, just depending on what the story is and what's going on. You know, this industry has changed so much just in the, the, the four years I've been in it. How have the changes impacted small publishers, do you think, Jen? And how do you feel about the changes? I think the changes are good. You know, I think they're good for readers. I think they're good for authors. And they're good, you know, for, for small press. It used to be that if an author didn't get a deal with one of the big publishing houses, they, didn't, they couldn't publish. That was it. You know, now with with ebooks and, and all the way the industry has changed, it's more open. And small presses have the option and the ability to accept and publish books that would have been passed by or, you know, good books that the big houses just didn't have time for. I think it allows more authors to publish. You know, it puts more books in the hands of readers and it creates a market for, for you know, small presses like ours to thrive. The myth number. Well, and I think now it is time for Mythnomer, our word for the day. So, as we have a special guest today, um, our word is going to be editor. Uh, Jen, you also have your own editing company beyond EP, uh, Imagine That Editing. So as an editor, what special tips can you offer writers during the editing process? I think the first most important tip for authors would be to take a break between writing and editing. You know, I think oftentimes authors finish a book and they're like ready to send it to the editor and they, you know, you want to get it out there. It's your baby and you want to get, put it out into the world for everybody to enjoy. But I think it's better if you can take a break between writing and editing, set it aside for a while and then come back to it with, you know, with a fresh pair of eyes. It, it allows you, I think, to be more open-minded during the process you're not as emotionally, you know, invested as the second you finish writing it. And it allows you to see things you wouldn't see otherwise. I think the second most important tip would be to find an editor that you really trust and listen to what they have to say. Sometimes we have to, uh, to rip that baby to shreds, you know. We do that to help you as the author, you know, make the work better and stronger. So I think if you have a disagreement, something your editor points out that you don't agree with or that you don't like, just hear them out and then discuss it, you know, go, go into discussions and work it out. Usually you can come to an arrangement or an agreement that works for both the author and the editor. And then the work is even better for it. So again, communication really Commu being the key. Always communication. How did your site, you have a list of, of services that you can offer an aspiring writer or uh, author. Among them are content editing, line, copy editing, and proofreading. want to focus in on the difference that you see between a copy edit and a content edit. Okay, that one, it's, it's, it's difficult distinction. And it's a little bit different, I think, depending on who you're talking to. So whenever you're discussing terms with an editor and trying to determine what type of editing you need, you want to make sure you know exactly what that editor is going to give you, you know, what, what they mean by that service. For me, you know, content editing is really focusing on every aspect of the manuscript from character development, story, plot issues, dialogue issues, 
anything you can think of, you know, everything, truly analyzing that manuscript as a piece of literature and working out any problems with it, with structure, pacing, character, anything. Copy editing is really just a step above proofreading. You're checking for grammar errors, spelling, punctuations. You're also checking for incorrect word uses, uh, usages. But you're also looking at minor logical issues, continuity issues, you know, timeline, that kind of thing. But it's not as detailed as content editing. I come from a broadcast background, so when I see copy editing, that is what I would call content editing. So that, that was nice to have that cleared up for me. Oh, I didn't realize the terms were different. I guess it depends on what market you're in. Uh, on the American East Coast market, when you're editing copy, it is for content. And this is 20 years ago, too. I'm sure it's all changed since I was in school. <laughs> There's Back a difference with, like, journalism versus, you know, fiction editing. Right. They, the, the terms are kind of different. And I think that's why it's really important to make sure you know when you're talking to your editor, you're, you kind of detail exactly what they mean by their terms so that you know what you're getting. I'm going to switch gears completely now. If you could have a dinner party with any seven people, living or dead, or fictional, who would you include? Oh, oh my goodness. That would be a hell of a party. <laughs> oh, let me see. <laughs> um, I would include seven people. I would include Leonardo da Vinci, William Shakespeare, or, you know, if, if you're one of those people who doesn't believe he wrote the plays, whoever did. <laughs> uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Nice. Uh, Einstein. Eve, our, uh, our first woman, I think. Uh, Ray Bradbury. And my very best friend, Lisa, so that I would have someone to talk that night <laughs> again and again. Oh, man, that sounds... I, I want to come to this party. <laughs> yeah, she's got some good people. She's got some of the people I, I picked when I answered that question. Great party, Jen. Good, cho good choice. Good choice. Okay, what question do you never get asked that you wish someone would ask you? And what would your answer be? No one has ever asked me to fly to Paris for a romantic dinner. You know... <laughs> You know, like in the movies when some gorgeous guy shows up and asks you to dinner, and the next thing you know, you're on some private jet, like on your way to Paris? Not a clue. Oh, well. Wow. <laughs> if no only. And your answer would be? Unfortunately, it would probably have to be something like, sorry, handsome, you're too late, I'm taken. <laughs> <laughs> Unless, of course, it was your fiancé asking, right? Oh, and hell then, yeah. then the I'm... answer would be? Then the answer would be? All right, can I have a nap first? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've never had that as an answer on the show. No, I like it. Never right, have. We have it. That's a great it's answer. It's a tricky question, so you have to come up with some weird answers. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone uh, has their own personal myths, uh, things a lot of people think about us that may or may not be true, their own personal myth behaviors, if you will. So, Jen, what myth behavior do people believe about you that is absolutely not true? A lot of people think that I that I really enjoy criticizing them in their work, I think, in my line of work. I have a tendency, you know, whether it's in my personal life or in my editing, to be brutally honest. And I think, I think people believe that I enjoy being mean. <laughs> but, you know, really, I don't. It kind of makes me sad. Sometimes I even feel guilty when I edit because I know that that's somebody's, you know, somebody's baby that they've worked really hard on. But I'm really good at finding the things that don't work. And, and while sometimes it causes pain to point them out, I, I feel good once I've helped them kind of get to the end and, and make it better and make it the best version of itself. Okay, so uh, here's a tough one. 
What myth behavior do you have that people believe that really is true? Oh, that one's actually a lot easier. <laughs> I'm a bit of a loud mouth. I find a that hard to believe. Yeah, I'm outgoing, you know, yeah. I'm to random people and just talk to strangers. And, and sometimes I have to remind myself that, that that's not always, you know, that sometimes that makes people uncomfortable. So I have to remind myself to quiet down. And I get teased about it a lot. My friends and family tease me about it a lot. <laughs> can't do it. I think that's just being sociable. So, so right? That's, that's what I think, too. But, you know. <laughs> just being the extrovert in the place. That's right. Jen, before we bring our show to a close, did you have anything that you wanted to add? You know, not that I can think of. I want to thank you guys so much for, for you know, having me on and, and allowing me to join the party. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about our new press um, and the process. Uh, you know, Mayor and I both were really, really happy. We really enjoy doing what we do. So uh, any opportunity to talk about it is uh, is fun. So thank you. Hey, no problem. It sounds like you guys have a really good thing going. I'm very, it's yeah. It's fun. You know, we were surprised that we got uh, the quality of books as soon as we did because we had barely announced that we were open before we had several books that we signed last summer. They were, they, it was right off, right off the top. And then we've got, we've got the seven that are coming out so far this year, but we've got some other submissions already um, and some other contracts that we're probably going to be signing in the next little while too. So um, there's seven titles so far for the year. That's not the whole year. That's just the first part of the year. Busy, That's just, busy, We busy. have scheduled and slated, yeah. So is, is the slush pile still open, or are you guys close to submissions for... No, we're, we're open. In fact, we would love to get more, uh, some more paranormal romance. Yeah, we're definitely open for submissions. And, and as Mayor said, we have a call out for paranormal romance, because we'd like to get some of those on the slate. Uh, how many books do you think you'd feel comfortable doing in a year? Like, if everything... If you just had a whole whack of really good submissions. Right now, we're looking at um, releasing one to two books a month. You know, that's anywhere from 12 to 24 books a year. But, you know, that doesn't mean the submissions can't keep coming in. If we get more submissions than that, you know, depending on the schedule, we are open to expanding and growing. So, yeah. And if necessary, we'll, you know, we'll hire more editors. But right now, uh, everything is very hands on between Jen and I. We both do everything. And we, we have to agree. Our rule is we both have to love a book before we will offer a contract. So it has to in with the authors. So it's, it's, it's nice right now. Yeah, it's, it's been really cool. And we do, we actually do marketing uh, for the authors, you know, not a whole lot, not thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, but we definitely have a, a marketing program, which is a little unusual. Most presses don't do any marketing at all. And so I think that's one of the things that that helps a little bit is that we we do that. We do a launch party for the author. We do a blog tour for the author. So we're we're trying to get their book out there for them and then we also work with them on these are some of the ways they can market themselves so we were we're helping them figure that and that's my part of the business jen does the the hard stuff with the editing <laughs> and i do the other hard stuff with the marketing <laughs> well again it sounds like as a team like your your relative strengths balance each other very well a great partnership. We we each have a specific set of skills that when you know put them together and i think we were just this is the industry that we both wanted to be in and our skill set together really gives us an advantage. 
without mentioning any names, have you ever had a, a sub come in that just isn't going to make it at all? Oh, yeah. Have you had one that one of you've loved and the other one says, nah? You know, we haven't had any that one absolutely loved and the other didn't. We've had some that were kind of in between where one of us may have been like, oh, I like this one. And the other one's like, I don't like it that much. But, you know, the ones that, that we one of us has loved, you know, they're good. So the others just loved too. We've been lucky so far. Oh, We've good. had really great submissions. Yeah, uh, there's. I think there's only been one where Jen liked it and I was not thrilled at all. We debated and I, I tried to like it. I really did. <laughs> I mean, we don't read th- submissions with the, the idea of, oh, how can we rip this apart? We read it with the idea of, oh, please let me love this. Please mm-hmm. let, let this be one we want to publish. And and so we're going into it with positive attitude, wanting to love it. We're not sitting there trying to rip it apart and find what's wrong with it. We're trying to find what's right. And can we can we use this as something we can work with? And that helps. But I do, like after Jen does all the editing, I do a final proofreading. So I'm reading everything twice before it gets, Jen reads it many more times than me. <laughs> I read it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love them. I don't know. Jen, do you get bored? <laughs> She's not going to admit it if she is. But. No, no, honestly, I, I think that just speaks to the to the books that we're getting. If I got bored, then it's probably not a good, you know, it's not a great fit for us. So far, no, I haven't gotten bored on a single one. Well, we've got some really good books coming out. Um, we have a, a novel called Innocent Blood by Luann Carroll. That'll be releasing in 2015. And we're not going to say dates right now because we don't know what the the exact dates are going to be. It's that time when we've come to the end of our show. Jen, we want to thank you for taking your time to be with us today. And you've given us a fascinating look at what you do. We look forward to hearing about your next projects. Remember, everyone, that you can go to MythBehaving.com for more information on Jen Ryan and links to her website. You can also read her bio and find links to her social media. Don't forget, you can download this episode on iTunes or listen right on the MythBehaving.com website. Please take a moment to leave us positive feedback on iTunes, and you can subscribe to us right on iTunes. Thanks again for tuning in to MythBehaving, and we'll see you next time. For Katie Brisky and Mara Wilson, I'm Paul Ellis, and we are MythBehaving, where reality meets fantasy. See you soon! This episode is copyright 2015 by Mythbehaving Productions in association with Wireless Adventures and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.